Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight. I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. One. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. A twenty-five lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. I'm from the to right center. And the Braves have landed. A twenty-five lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and drive. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Sports Drink and our friends at Bet Online. If you're looking to show off how smart you are, how knowledgeable you are, go prove it. Go to BetOnline.ag and show us what you got. Show us how smart you really are. BetOnline.ag is the best place to go if you want to find friendly, fun wagers ranging from intermediate all the way to the very high end and very low all the way to the beginner. If you're if you're new to the game, don't worry. Just go to BetOnline.ag. You'll have a ton of fun. Play on a game that you have nothing, you have no idea, so no preconceived notions can jump into it. That's how you'll find out if you're a natural. Trust me. Go to BetOnline.ag. Use the promo code ARMCHAIR to get a nice little surprise when you make your initial deposit. BetOnline.ag. Play. Win. Have a great time. And this episode is also brought to you by Locker Room Now. Ding, ding, ding. Now also available on the Android app. So if you felt left out the last two locker rooms I've done, don't feel left out anymore. You can now download the Locker Room app for Android as well so you can join in on the fun. Telling you guys, last week it was basically just me and, and uh, Riley's Rakes for like four hours. Just sitting there talking, just shooting it. Um, just basically turning it into a nice big powwow session where we can come in and everybody can talk uh, talk Braves or, or really whatever's on your chest. You can download the locker room and be a part of your favorite shows. Feel like you're in on the action. I don't know if any if everybody else is as cool as I am where they just let everybody speak. But, you know, I'm a hip crowd. I'm a hip dude. So go download the locker room app, whether you have an Android or an Apple device, and join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. on the locker room app. All right, that felt like a really long amount of ads doc i know you felt that way too as i have been waiting chomping at the bit to get you introduced so welcome everybody to the man the myth the legend the guy who's really been the driving force behind the show for 146 episodes doc herbert hello sir hey buddy it's actually 145 i did dip out and go to italy that one time but i even for as long as the ads took i feel like you did a really good job 
one of these days I'm gonna jump in. I'm gonna jump in on one of those locker rooms with you. Uh, you definitely should because as of right now, it's basically just me, and I have to have everybody else on because I don't know if you people have realized this. I talk a lot, which would be why I have two shows. Um, but yeah. On this particular episode, this is why I like doing my shows with Doc, because Doc is much more structured, and we have a good show to talk about. I did not think we would have a very good show to talk about after Sunday, but we had some extenuating circumstances yesterday that have kind of balanced it out. The universe has required karma, and we got a little bit of that yesterday. So let's go ahead and start out with the bad so we can end on the good and end with a smile and get ready for today's game, shall we? Okay, bad news. Braves are 10 and 12 at a time where I really thought that they would be pretty far ahead in the standings right now. Like, if you would have told me that the Braves had been, uh, like, 16 and, and 8, I would, or 16 and, and 4, I would say it was, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, definitely, no doubt. Um, or, yeah, six, what am I, 16 and 6. Sorry, I can't do math correctly. Unfortunately, they're 10 and 12. Um, my math skills have been about as consistent as the Braves have been this year. And that all culminated with what I have to say has to be the absolute low point for 2021. Getting no hit by 87 mile per hour, Madison Bumgarner. We got no hit by lefty Josh Tomlin. Going into his free agency, Bumgarner was such a divisive guy because there were so many people banging the drum saying, oh, he's from Braves country. He's a natural fit. He'd be a born leader. And then he signed with the Diamondbacks and he was absolutely atrocious last year. And he was atrocious for a lot of this year too. And he'll go right back to being atrocious. He'll go right back to being atrocious next week. His tenure with Arizona has been awful. And after the first game, I mean, look, Zach Gallen, totally he's different story. Zach, yeah, he's a stud. He's really, really good. And so when you get one hit by Zach Gallen, you just kind of chalk it up to, uh, you know, got to tip your cap type thing. But then when Bumgarner comes out, you're like, all right, we are going to feast. This guy is throwing meatballs all day. Yeah. Either way, I mean, we should have stomped a mud hole in Bumgarner to borrow a term from the Hicks down here. Hello, fellow Hicks. Um, that was really, really embarrassing. Even more embarrassing, though, and this is something um, some people kind of exposed on Twitter, and I had totally forgotten I had done this, Doc. You probably know the reason why I had forgotten I had done this. Most of you could probably guess the reason how I had forgotten that I'd done this. Uh, apparently, I tweeted out, that if Bumgarner threw a no-no that I would legit cry. Because people were starting to to stalk, uh, talk a bunch of garbage about how Bumgarner was going to pitch well, and me, you know, being me and challenging the baseball gods, like, ah, there's no way it's going to happen. Uh, and I feel like I might have spoke it into existence a little bit. Uh, so please accept this as my formal apology. Uh, it will not happen again. Ideally, when you're talking about this will never happen again, I th this team needed... A turning point. They, they've been down in the dumps. They've been looking for some type of motivation. And there are few things that will light a fire underneath you. Quite like being embarrassed on national television. Uh, you know, we know this team is not perfect. And we the, the struggles are well documented. And, and every week since the season started, we've been saying, oh, you know, you can see it. If you squint, you can see the offense is starting to come around. You know, Ozzy started over 19, but he's turning around. And, and uh you know, Riley is really starting to get on base and, and Haredi has done a great job stepping in for pot, you know, but like this team is obviously imperfect because every time we talk about it, we kind of cross our fingers <laughs> right. and then five days go by and nothing has fully gotten fixed. <laughs> so coming, we, we keep coming, getting close to 500 and then we just forget how to play baseball for a few games. And it, it just seems like we've been doing this dance for the last few series. And now and now they got to, got to a point where you say, you're not going to get lower than this. 
the there's an old country song that I don't think I've ever actually heard, but I know the saying that comes from it is when you're at rock bottom, there's only two ways you can go. It's straight up and sideways. Ideally, they're not going to keep going sideways, so all they can do is start going up. Last night, first game of the Cubs series, they scored four runs in the first inning. You got a lot of production from the lower part of the lineup. Albies, Riley, Swanson hit a home run. Darno got two hits. Haradia got... I mean, the only uh, member of the starting lineup that didn't get on base twice was Ozuna, but he got on once, and he, he, had, a, uh, he had a double. So it was nice to see... The bottom part of the lineup, you know, Acuna didn't get any hits. He did walk twice, but he he did not get any hits. Um, and that's what you need because inevitably he was going to go into a slump sometime. His numbers are starting to sag a little bit ever since he came off of um, the two-game hiatus. He, he didn't have to go to the IL or anything, but it's it was nice to see. And, you know, you're not going to get a much smaller sample size than one game. But it was it was good to see, and going into Game 2 of the series against the Cubs and this weekend series against the Blue Jays, I'm really looking to see them stringing together like they did in the first inning, stringing together a couple singles, not just relying on home runs, guys driving each other in and then being driven in, just keeping the line moving, as, as the saying goes. Good start. Cubs series yeah, was a good start. They're going to have to keep that going, and, and it's similar to the Arizona series. We can't really let your foot up off the gas because the Cubs are awful. Uh, but the Diamondbacks were awful, and they took two out of three and embarrassed us. And, and what I really think was one of the most embarrassing days of the last ten years, right up there with the ten-run first inning. I mean, it's just you don't expect to get one hit over 14 innings of play in one day. Like, it's just you don't expect it. You don't expect to have starters throw complete games, <laughs> shutouts against you two consecutive games. And I don't really care what Major League Baseball says. Uh, if Zach Gallon's game is a one-hitter, Bumgarner's was a no-no. It doesn't make any sense to me that – you give up one hit and the game suddenly counts, but if you don't give up any, it doesn't. That's that's kind of a dumb rule. Uh, but for the Braves, I'm hoping that it really did kind of light them up a little bit. Uh, there was some people on Twitter, uh, Dallas Britt was the guy I saw, talking about how Freddie doesn't really look like he's having a lot of fun. He did kind of look angry yesterday, but my response is he should have looked angry because that was embarrassing. I mean... Not only did you get no hit, you got no hit by the one guy that everybody on TV and radio had to start fawning over to the point where they needed a new change of pants. And it, there, there was nothing redeeming about those games. So I love what they did to start out last night. I do wish that they could maybe carry that over to more than just the first inning a little bit or, or you know, not make me have to sweat so much. But at this point right now with how things have been going for this team, I'll take any good signs that I can see. Because we keep saying, and if you look around Major League Baseball, it's still weird everywhere. Hitters are definitively behind pitchers right now still to this point in the season. I'm, I would hang a fair guess that the start this year has a lot to do with not playing for most of last season either. I would guess that it has a fair bit to do with it. Uh, but you're still seeing weird things like the Royals right now are the best team in baseball. And we know that's not going to continue. The Royals are, are awful. Uh, but a lot of teams right now are, are at the top of their divisions. The Red Sox right now leading the AL East. The Yankees as bad as the Braves, uh, where we, we know that that's not going to carry over. The Twins, who haven't been playing very well. The Astros are like third in their division. We know that that's not going to continue. So it's just about bearing through. And people have been bringing this up with Marcelo Ozuna a lot. Uh, DOB had a tweet today basically just kind of talking about how bad Ozuna's been. I haven't been as worried about him. I know you haven't either, and you're always the optimist among us. So hopefully to people... Uh, out there like, oh man, should I be worried? This is me telling you. You guys know that um, I've been told before that I can be a little negative. I'm not worried about Ozuna. I'm not worried about him. This is something that when you look at his career and you take out 2020 because 
obviously there was no March or April in 2020. Ozuna, his his first month of the season and his July are the two worst months of his career, going all the way back to 2016 when he first kind of started hitting for power. That's how he's been. He's very much like Justin Upton. He's going to be ice cold for a month, and then he's going to carry you for a month to two months. It's just kind of how it goes. Um, it's always been about everybody else around the Braves because I knew going into the season, you weren't going to get a full season of what Ozuna did over 60 games. It's just not possible. What I did not count on was Freddie and Ozzy and Darno and Dansby and Riley and Pache at the time struggling all at the same time. Now, if you dig into the underlying numbers a little bit, you can start to see that people are coming out with it. You put out a tweet from the TPS account showing Ozzy and how much better he's been against breaking balls. He's starting to see some better results. Uh, Freddie's starting to get a little bit better results now. Some of those hits are starting to kind of find lanes. Um, Travis is, is I, I, I still think that he'll pick things up. He's not going to do what he did last year, but I think he'll ultimately settle around a, a 110-ish WRC+, plus, which is perfectly fine for a catcher. Um, Riley has taken some big strides, though, and as somebody that I personally have called out a lot, it is only fair for me to reward him when he's done very well, and you and I talked about this over the phone a lot. I don't know if we really talked about it last week, but what he's really, really done since that Yankees series is he's given up this idea of, all right, let's just make contact for the sake of making contact, and now he's looking to lift the ball. He might It might have finally gotten to the point where he got so tired of being a light-hitting guy at 245 pounds just poking balls that he's decided, like, all right, you know what? Let me actually try to be a grown man hitter, and it's paying off for him. And here's a really important thing to remember about Austin Riley, man, is that he still has not played 162 professional games. It seems like he's been around forever because he debuted two years ago, but he still doesn't have 162 underneath his belt. So he, I mean, all, all of these tweaks that he's making about like to his contact profile and, and, and the strides that he's making, they're kind of just standard growing pains. Now changing from being a fly ball hitter to being a ground ball hitter. That's a weird one. Well, I think that's I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I know he doesn't have a full 162, but he has two full off seasons under his belt, uh, knowing that he was going to be on the big league club. And this year, knowing he was going to be the starter at third base. So while I agree with you that he doesn't have a full season's worth of at-bats, a lot of people who debuted when Riley did don't because of last season. But it's the off season that really matters to me. The off season is where you do the most work. That's where you really change your profile. And for me, I really do think Austin might have just gotten tired of, of, of the way things were going and being a slap hitter, or at least I hope so. I hope that whoever was in his ear, I'm not going to name any names, but whoever was in his ear telling him to swing level with the baseball and to not lift, uh, I'm hoping that he's down to just ignoring them now. Because if he can just keep the same plate discipline that he was showing while being a slap hitter, he's going to be a guy that's going to hit 30, 40 home runs. And even if, like, I don't, honestly, if he hits 255, fantastic if he hits 225 and hits 40 homers don't really care as long as he's providing that power output that's what the Braves need from him the Braves have enough guys who can make steady contact I know Dansby's not one of them but you figure over time you've got you've got Ronald you've got Freddie those two are phenomenal at making contact especially uh especially this season uh Ozzie has done much better about cutting strikeout rates down he's making fair bits of contact he'll go through strikeout bouts same as Dansby overall Dansby's going to make I don't want to give him any praise right now, but uh, when he's going right, he'll make a lot of contact. Um, Austin doesn't need to worry about being that just-touch-the-ball guy. Do something with it. Just That's all the Braves have been asking for from the beginning. So good show from Austin. 
if he continues this, and I, I don't want to jinx him, which apparently anytime I uh, really predict somebody to do well, that's a good indicator that they're not going to do well. Um, so for Austin, I'm just going to kind of keep my mouth shut a little bit and just say that the way things are going for him right now since the Yankees series, that's a different Austin Riley. That's a valuable Austin Riley. And he, he really is the, – the numbers are starting to bear out the eye test too. Like he, his ground ball rate for the first 14 games was 52%. And, and since then for the last uh, eight, eight games, I think, then uh, he's got it down to 33.3 uh, ground ball. So it's still, it's still a little bit high. Uh, you you want to see more line drives, more fly ball, but that's a step. you know. And this the, part of the tricky part is – Acuna's been around three years, Riley two years. Uh, Ozzy came up in August of 2017, so I guess it's been a little bit longer for him. But aside from guys like Freddie, Darno, and Ozuna, if you look at some of the younger guys on this team, like they're still kind of unfinished products. You know, in the sample size gets bigger, and you can only blame it on that so much. But like we even talked about Acuna, like the changes that he made in the off season, you know, he's still young enough to be making these changes and changing who he is as a player. So one of those guys, two, three of those guys that starts to compound. And when you're unfinished, then you're going to appear unfinished in a lot of the time. So same thing when you're talking about guys that are having inconsistent bouts of luck or, or um, bad luck with otherwise good performance, like hitting rockets right at somebody when you have a team of unfinished guys, you are just going to kind of have bouts where everybody looks like they're helpless, and that that's how you wind up getting uh, no hit by Madison Bumgarner. And you got some of that with the pitching staff too. So we don't really think about this team as being a prospect-driven team anymore because a lot of the guys have graduated from those lists. But this is still kind. I mean, this is still an incredibly young team. You've got your veterans like your your Mortons, and and I guess Freddie is is one of the uh, the leaders in the clubhouse now, which is weird because I I swear it's like he just debuted yesterday, but. I still have all the faith in the world in this team to make the adjustments that they need to make. And yeah, when things go bad and your second baseman's hitting 174 or whatever it is, you tend to dig into the underlying stats and, and you look at the, the frou-frou stuff like expected batting average and expected slugging percentage because it really can give you an idea of like, look, Ozzy is fine. He's not getting results. Dansby, aside from the strikeouts, hard as it is to believe, he actually is doing pretty well for somebody that is sucking as bad as he is. And Ozuna, I'm not worried about him long term, but it is interesting that Ozzy's hitting the ball hard, but he's not having any luck. Dansby's hitting the ball hard. He's not having any luck. Ozuna isn't having any luck, and he's not hitting the ball hard. So that I've got my eye on. He's got a long enough track record to where I am not worried about him at all. But every time I I get abnormally excited every time I see hit see him hit one ninety five off the bat, you know. And hopefully that doesn't continue. Hopefully it doesn't surprise me. It's like oh my god, that one was one ten or whatever. Hopefully that can just go back to being the norm. But that's something to keep our eyes on. One other note on uh, Austin. One other thing that kind of showing you how much he's changed just in the last week or two. Um, before that Yankee series, his launch angle, and yes, I'm going to talk about launch angle, was 8.6 degrees. That is ridiculously low. Uh, right now, not even a full two weeks later, about one and a half series later, his launch angle is currently at 13.5 degrees. That that's lets doing you know work. That's huge. What that means is that is a huge, gigantic shift from what he's doing. That denotes a, a, an actual 
purposeful change in the way that he's swinging. And that to me, like, like you and I had been saying, that's all he needed to do. Last year, his, his launch angle was 13.6. Right now, it's at 13.5. 2019, uh, when he came up and had that, all that success, it was 20 and a half. So the more he gets up closer to that 20 and a half, and it doesn't have to be that full 20 and a half. Even getting into that 13 and a half that he's at now with a better chase rate than what he had last season or in 2019, that'll denote more home runs. And his his stats will back it up. Even like we we have a bad taste in our mouths for Dan Ugla, obviously, because things didn't work out like everybody had wanted to when we remembered him. But Dan Ugla was still a valuable offensive player. He wasn't a good offensive player, but he walked a lot, and when he did make contact, he could make contact with some authority. We kind of lump him into the same vein as uh, BJ Upton but they weren't the same type of player. And Austin, for, for whatever warts he does have offensively, if he's going to lift, he's going to be a very valuable piece. At the very least, he's not going to be a, a replacement piece. He's up over, he's up in a positive war now. He's been a good defender this year, 62nd percentile in OAA. He's been a good, he's been, he's been much better, much improved since that Yankee series. I think it's going to continue. Speaking of continuing, we have some good stuff to talk about tonight's starter, Ian Anderson. But before we do, got to throw it back to our friends at Bet Online and Locker Room. You guys should already be very familiar with those. Uh, and our friends at Canaan Sunglasses. Canaan Sunglasses are freaking fantastic. I don't know how else to tell you. They're Japanese lenses, so they're really, really cool. They're also super technologically advanced because, duh, Japanese players and Japanese people are super ahead of the game. Japanese industry is awesome. Um, but the Canon sunglasses are really, really foolproof. They're 100% polarized right out the gate. Canon sunglasses make you look stylish. They make you look awesome. And they're not going to cost you the same amount that, you know, certain other brands, I'm not supposed to say names, but you know who I'm talking about, are going to run you. The, the quote-unquote popular guys. Go to CanaanSunglasses.com. The Canaan sunglasses are the perfect sunglasses for you for any occasion. CanaanSunglasses.com. Uh, Use the promo code CanaanCast15 and get a nice little surprise. CanaanCast15 on CanaanSunglasses.com. Uh, Canaan All right, so that was a really bad read there, but I'm going to keep it going because I'm too lazy to go back and do it again. Uh, tonight's starter is going to be Ian Anderson. And, Doc, Ian had been struggling a little bit. The last time out, though, it wasn't perfect, but it looked a lot more like the Ian Anderson that we got to see a lot last year. Did you see any particular change in him? Just poise. The The change-up seemed to be really, really working. It was the first time he looked like he had full control of his entire arsenal. And even the line looked worse than the outing was because he walked his last two batters. He didn't have overwhelming strikeout stuff. <clears throat> he only struck out four and six and two-thirds, but... Uh, by being a pitch-to-contact guy, he was able to uh, keep his pitch count down and uh, and almost finish the seven innings. So I really liked seeing him go back to the same poise that he had last year. And look, he grew up a Red Sox fan. You know it's not as simple as just saying, I really want to turn it on against these guys because he grew up hating the Yankees. If it was that easy, then everybody would do it all the time. But uh, he just seemed incredibly confident, and I want to see him build on that as well. This is a Cubs offense that is probably going to be pretty swing happy after last night. I think they probably feel like they had one uh, clutched from the jaws of victory. Uh, so they're going to come out and be really aggressive, and I'd love to see him just carve them up, exploit the, what they're trying to do. Absolutely. One of the things I did notice is his arm slot had started dropping. Uh, and, and Ian, his arm slot is so important because one of the reasons why he's able to pitch the way he does and actually pitch above his his – 
the grades on his stuff is that it all comes out of the exact same arm slot over the top, like almost straight over the top. So it's actually completely straight over the top. So it's all very deceptive. And that's what allows that change up, even though it doesn't have a ton of movement on it. It's got sharp movement, but it's not a ton of vertical drop. But when it's coming out of the exact same arm slot as that fastball, and it's seven to nine miles an hour slower, that's what makes that so deadly. His curveball is good. He's got that 12-6er anyway. But if he's coming a little bit more of three quarters, then that curveball is going to get a little bit more loopy. It's not as sharp as somebody like Max's uh, or even somebody like Matzik's when it's really on. So for him, maintaining arm slot is going to be of paramount importance. And it's, it's kind of funny. Fangraphs put out a piece talking about how his arm slot was dropping. And that very day, that was the day of, of his last start. And he came out, and all of a sudden, he looked a little bit better. He looked a lot more like what we were used to seeing. So that's what I wanted to see tonight. I want to see where his arm slot's at. If it's back over the top, this Cubs lineup is a very aggressive lineup. This is a lineup that a guy like Ian should be able to carve up. If Ian has the feel for all three, we, we know that he's not afraid to go to any of his three pitches in any circumstance. And that's really, really important at keeping hitters off balance. And if, his, if everything's come out of that same tunnel then all of a sudden that changeup, which even though it may only get graded a 55 if he's coming normal, when, he, when he's got it right and everything's tunneling the same, that's when that changeup is a 70. It's when it's one of the most devastating changeups in baseball. That's when his curveball gets to be really devastating, and that's when his fastball up in the zone really gets on hitters because he throws about 95, 94 to 96, but it'll kind of sit right around 95, which that's really freaking hard to anybody that doesn't know, but around baseball today, that's not really all that spectacular anymore. It's fairly average now. So for him to have that tunneling effect, that's that's what he needs to do to be successful. I love that that's lo that looked like what he got back to last night, so, or last week, so that's what I'm looking to see tonight. Tomorrow, I'm just looking to see more of Waskar Anoa uh, and his beautiful self. My absolute favorite story from the season so far, uh, the steps he We talk about Waskar all the time, so we're not going to spend a ton of time talking about Waskar. Um, but I think you Actually, and I Actually, can... I, I do. I would like to say something real quick as it pertains yeah. to both Ian and Waskar. You go ahead and you do it. Part of the reason why I also think Ian was so good in the game against the Yankees is because they had never seen him before. Not since his his very first outing. His very, very first outing, which he did great. The only thing, he gave up the home run, uh, but that was it. He carried a no-hitter into the fifth, sixth inning. Um, so there is not nearly as much familiarity uh, with his arsenal, with the arm slot. I mean, it's unconventional anyway. So, and having never seen it before, not exactly knowing how to time it up, it's going to be tricky. Cubs have never seen him before. So, I'd be curious to see, you know, New York has a very aggressive lineup, and he was able to exploit that. Very similar thing you could see today, even though I think Brian's going to be out. Um, with Inoa, the Cubs have seen him, but it was under different circumstances. It was windy, it was cold, and Travis and he Darno have, was back. He didn't have either pitch working. Honestly, right. He didn't have his fastball or his sliders. His sliders weren't super sharp in that outing. So the version of Waskar Anoa that the Cubs are going to see is going to be very different. Now that's not a guarantee of success. He could have a worse outing than he did at Wrigley, but I could be, I would put, mm, I'd be very shocked. I would put $12 on the fact that Alex Jackson is going to be back behind the plate tomorrow and probably for every Waskar Anoa start. He needs to be. It's a very smart yeah. move. Besides the fact that you need to give Travis days off anyway, Travis isn't really hitting either, so it's not like you're you're subbing out a, a force in your lineup for Alex Jackson, who you know is not a force offensively. Right now, Travis isn't going well offensively either, so at, at this particular point in time, Jackson, Alex's defense might, you might could say, makes him almost the same type of value as Travis right now. It won't obviously hold up over the season, but Waskar and Alex have worked with each other a ton. 
So it's nice to have familiarity with a catcher who knows what you like to throw when. And Waskar's the type of guy who's confident in himself no matter what. So he's confident whatever pitch you call. But Alex, to be able to be able to read how his pitches are moving and know what to call off of that to where if he doesn't have his best stuff, Alex might know a better way of how to kind of tightrope or, or maybe uh, pretend or do one of those ghost walks and get around some issues. Um, but it, it definitely just looks like Waskar and Alex are much more comfortable. I agree. Alex should be Waskar's full-time catcher from this point on. Um, you, you need to give Travis off days anyway. So giving him one off day every five days just seems smart to me. Uh, the other point on Waskar, just because I do love talking about him, I love, I love, I love how Waskar manages momentum. When things start going well, when he makes somebody look silly on that slider, that's when it's it's time to turn it on. And for Waskar, even though we can say the quote unquote two pitch pitcher thing, and yeah, that can frighten you at times, he does have other pitches that he's willing to throw. They're just not outstanding pitches right now. The difference in Waskar and other two pitch pitchers is the two pitches that he throws are both swing and miss pitches, especially that slider, which has been one of the best sliders in baseball as far as whiff percentage, like the whiff rate on that slider. And if you take out that Cubs game, it's probably in the top, I would guess it's going to be in the top five, maybe even the top three, as far as whiff rates on that slider. It's such an important pitch for him. uh, And I think that being in warmer climates will always do better for him because he's so reliant on that slider. But I'm very excited to see Waskar get some payback against the Cubs tomorrow. Overall, um, I, I, I want to see how these two kids really look. Thursday is going to be a little bit different. Um, I would imagine it's going to be Bryce Wilson, but as Snickers said today, um, that it's going to be somebody who's currently on the roster. So that means no to Kyle Wright. I think you and I can both say, I understand it. Um, <laughs> after the Ubaldo Jimenez start, we'll, we'll see what happens down the road for Kyle. But I, I think you and I can both agree. It's most likely going to be Bryce and it's going to be a play it by ear. Yeah, I mean, if it, if there was a built-in off day, uh, then I would feel a little bit different about the fact that there's a bullpen game. But, you know, they, they're going to play in, t- whether it's Dunedin or Buffalo or wherever the Blue Jays are playing right now, uh, they, as soon as they leave Atlanta, they are going to go play the Blue Jays somewhere, and they don't have the day off to recoup the bullpen. So it's a really interesting call. Uh, if they're planning on using anybody other than Bryce Wilson, I, I almost feel like even if you go down six in the third inning, you let him eat it. In. Just let him yep, eat it. Just, sorry, bud. You're just going to have to wear this when you got to do what happened to Jordan Yamamoto last year in the game where the Braves scored 29 runs against the Marlins. They're like, look, we need you to go three innings. Your ERA is going to be in the tank for the rest of your career. Sorry <laughs> about it. Uh, I do. I do think that this is a, this is a game where, Pretty obvious to me the game plan should be Bryce for as long as he can go and then Tomlin behind him for as long as he can go. Uh, I think that that should be fairly obvious, especially if the Braves win tonight. If the Braves win uh, tonight and if they win, like especially if they win tonight and tomorrow, then you can let whoever eat it. But if they win tonight and, and they get to the point where the worst that can happen is, uh, you know, you know, oh, maybe we drop that game on Thursday, then, then you're in a fine position to be because – they have the Braves have been having to use their bullpen a fair amount this year, and it's not a sixty-game season. So we are at the point you mentioned it about Tyler Matzik in the pre-show. Um, you are at this point where you do have to. This is where we have to see where Snit is able to pick up from twenty nineteen and not judge twenty twenty. Is he going to be able to not run his bullpen into the ground? It's going to be an important question because the bullpens have had to be used a lot. They've had a lot of injuries back there and a lot of ineffectiveness. But the main guys in the bullpen, Matzik, Minter, Smith. They've been used a lot. They have. 
Uh, another thing to consider, I kind of wonder whether or not the Braves are anticipating that Chris Martin and or Sean Newcomb are both going to come back or give them two fresh bullpen arms uh, for this weekend if they're able to swing it. I mean, Newcomb was on the COVID IL, which had to be confirmed by a non-official source because the team can't officially release that uh, that data unless the player says it's okay, but uh, Dave O'Brien uh, got confirmation on that. So because it's the COVID IL and not the regular IL, I mean, we could, Nuke could, could be activated tomorrow. Uh, we can't be sure there. And Martin, uh, he's going to do some sim games uh, at Gwinnett. I don't know if they're just going to do like one or two, or if they're anticipating that he's going to be back at some point this weekend or what. But if you, it's curious that they're saying, we're going to do a bullpen game. We're not, we're not going to call up Kyle Wright or Tucker Davidson, who's already on the 40 man. Um, if, if they don't think that they're going to get some other type of reinforcements, maybe they've decided that they're going to uh, call up Jaseel De La Cruz to live in the bullpen uh, to replace Nate Jones or whatever. There, there could be any number of things that happen because there's also a possibility. I don't like to consider this, but Anderson and Noah could get pulverized over the next two games and they have to go ahead and do bullpen games for both of those and then they have to reassess. So Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's weird to call it a bullpen game in like three days. Now, speaking of, you were talking about maybe they bring Jaseel De La Cruz up and, and bury him in the bullpen, which I do think is is JDLC's ultimate home if he stays here in Atlanta. They could also, one guy that I mentioned it on Twitter today, uh, and I, it's just because I had totally forgotten, Edgar Santana. He is, I've, at first I was under the assumption that he was going to miss games due to suspension this year, but they did reduce his suspension to just last season. So he is cleared to play. He's at the alternate site, and he's been there for a while along with Orlando Arcia. I do wonder why they haven't been called up. You can say, like, beat guys can say whatever they want about, oh, Arcia was only acquired to be a backup to A-Ray Adrianza. Alex didn't trade two prospects to get a third stringer. Alex did not trade two prospects to get a backup to a backup. Um, that's not the case at all. So I don't really know what is going on right now with those two. I'd like to see them get called up. Because uh, Edgar Santana, at the very least, should be replacing Nate Jones. Edgar Santana, uh, back in 2018, the last time he really he really pitched after having Tommy John in 2019 and getting suspended for 2020, uh, he was very, very good in 2018. His FIP was 358, I believe, uh, in 66 and a third innings. And he's a guy that can do a lot for you. He's righty, which is desperately needed out of the pen right now. And he's a guy that has really good fastball slider combo, and actually his slider is his main pitch, so he tends to kind of work backwards. Now, Coming back from Tommy John, it can be a lot like Jameson Tyone and like most TJ guys, where it's more about getting the command back, not the velocity in that second year. So they could just be kind of slow walking him a little bit. Um, but I am a little bit surprised that we haven't seen him or Carl Edwards Jr. get called up at this point. Um, I would think that that would change, if not you know tonight or tomorrow, relatively quickly. For a lot of the fringe back-end guys, your Nate Jones, your Luke Jackson, even these are guys without options, which which is how they wound up on the opening day roster in the first place. And they know that, you know, you can option Jacob Webb, but truthfully, he's one of the best guys that you got out there. When you DFA Nate Jones, he's probably done. You know, he's 35. He he doesn't – he's probably not going to want to go to the alt site. He is probably just going to be hoping all of his hope into the fact that he gets picked up by – I don't know the Pirates, the Royals. One of the one of these teams that is, um, I mean, the, the Royals are in first place in the Central right now, so I can't exactly go bashing them. The Pirates are doing pretty well. The Pirates got a better record than the Braves do right now. Pirates but, have a chance uh, to go over five hundred today. If the Pirates win today, they're above five hundred. That's it's amazing. But 
but that's also it kind of reminds me of the 2015 Braves. Don't forget the 2015 Braves right after they traded Hayward and Kimbrel, etc., were started that season 42-42 and then ended 65 and 97. Things are things can go sideways <laughs> really quick. So, uh I would I would not be surprised like if if they if they are going to have to beef up the bullpen, Nate Jones is probably going to be the first one to go. Jesse Biddle Grant Dayton, Luke Jackson, these are all guys that when you let them go, they're probably gone. So they got to be really deliberate about the moves that they make. Not to say that any of these guys are just prizes, but it's really hard to make it to the major leagues. And if you made it to the major leagues, you were probably good at something, or you were good enough at something at some point, and somebody has faith in you to recapture that magic. But when you no. when you let go of Luke Jackson... You know, somebody's gonna scoop him up, whether you think he's an elite reliever. And then somebody's or not. gonna be Perry Manasian. That that somebody's gonna be Perry Manasian with the Angels. Luke, if if the Braves were to DFA Luke, he'd immediately be with the Angels, who have a very bad bullpen of their own. Right. So he'd fit right in. But the point being, when you when you're gonna try and call up whether it's De La Cruz or whoever it's gonna be, you gotta come to terms with the fact that the guys you're letting go of, whether you hate them or not, that's the end of the line. And we've seen how tricky it is for guys, even good guys like Matzik and Mentor, who are being they got promoted basically it's like hey you are moving into this super important role now you're not the sixth inning guy anymore you're the seventh inning guy and you were the seventh inning guy now you're the eighth inning guy you know these are big steps and guys that become closers you know you have to ascend through the ranks and this this team is very good about making guys earn it whether we agree with it or not there's a a meritocracy in place and you know Tyler Matzik wasn't going to leapfrog Will Smith, but it would be easier for somebody like Carl Edwards Jr. to show up and leapfrog Nate Jones. It, anyway, the bullpen does need help. I would expect that as soon as Santana gets a clean bill of health, because Alex Anthopoulos doesn't want to see Nate Jones pitch more than anybody else does, but he knows that right now he kind of has to. As soon as Santana's ready, as soon as Carl Edwards Jr. has got his location, because he walked a lot of guys in spring training. That's what then, he does. That's what it's just what he does. He's the string bean slinger. He throws fast and he walks, guys. The bullpen, there will be reinforcements coming, but at the same time, we talk about sample sizes a lot. How small is too small to make any type of definitive decision? And we're almost to a month. And that's when you can you can get the axe out and you can start chopping guys off of the roster. Anything up until then you could kind of chalk it up to bad luck. And I hate to keep harping on Nate Jones, but um in, in the pre-show when we were going over some of his numbers, whoo! Yeah, why don't you uh, why don't you la- why don't you list a little of those for the audience? All right, I closed this page, so let's let's see what I can do off of memory here. Uh, through eight point one innings, he's got negative point three F WAR, which is the seventh worst among relievers in all of baseball. His strikeout rate is six point four eight per nine, and so is his walk rate. Uh, <laughs> He is allowing 2.16 home runs per nine. And last year when he was playing in Cincinnati, which is like 230 feet to straightaway center, it was only 2.45. Um, let's see what else. is it. His ERA is 216. His BABIP is 136. His FIP is 729. His XFIP is 729. It's just not good. It's just not yeah. good. Yeah, and speaking on that, I mean, like for your XFIP and your FIP to be the exact same, that literally means that you have not gotten unlucky on a single home run. Every home run you have given up was completely earned. Like, out of every ballpark. Because XFIP, 
factors like takes in park factors into effect. Um, so yeah, Nate Jones has been abysmal, and for whatever weird reason, he's basically only been used in high leverage. Uh, so I'll be. I don't want to root for somebody to fail, but I will be much happier when that option is no longer on the table. He's starting to give off a lot of, like, Sam Freeman vibes, uh, where it's one of those where, like, for better or worse, the loyal manager just kind of keeps running him out there because he's got a track record. Never mind that that track record of, like, being good was, like, five years ago. Um, That's definitely one. Now, you were speaking of reinforcements, and there's one reinforcement in particular that you and I are ready to see back on this team, and that is Max Freed. It does look like he's going to be back the first week of May. Hopefully, he's kind of gotten some things sorted out. I would imagine it wasn't just the hamstring. I would imagine they were also working on maybe some mechanical tweaks. Maybe there was an, a mechanical adjustment in his uh, in his actual windup that he needed to make to kind of get a handle on that curve because even before getting hurt, he really never had a handle on any of his stuff. Uh, I'm excited to get Max back, though, because I don't really care – uh, I, I, I don't care as much about these early results because I know how good Max is. 2020 and 2019 were not flukes. Max is a stellar pitcher, so I'm looking forward to getting him back out there. Chris Martin, I'm excited to getting him back out there because we do have a little bit of uncertainty, and we're going to have two more things that we're going to talk about here today because Mike Soroka is still not throwing. Uh, estimates are he's he's not going to be back till June at the earliest because he'll still have to have a ramp up like a spring training would be. Um but Charlie Morton, we should talk about him a little bit because it's been a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde from Charlie. Uh, and it's actually, it's kind of eerie. If you look at his numbers from this season and his numbers from last season, they're almost the exact same. ERA, FIP, WAR, everything. It's almost the exact same. Um, but it's been one of these cases where through most of his outing, Charlie looks fantastic. Not giving up a lot of contact. And when he does, it's super soft. And he's dicing guys up with that curve. And he's using his cutter a fair amount this year. Um, but then he seems to have one inning where it kind of all falls apart. It's kind of like he'll walk that first batter. And once he walks that first batter, all of a sudden he starts hanging pitches. I don't know if it's just he's a lot more comfortable working out of the windup right now than he's out of the stretch. But it is a little bit of a dichotomy between you'll see him at times look like Justin Verlander. And then at other times he looks like Julio Tehran in the first inning. Um, it's kind of hard to figure out where he's at right now. And as somebody that I, I still think Charlie is... Uh, he still has a ton left in the tank, and I do think he'll iron them out eventually. My question for you is, are you worried about him at all? I just wish he could string together like two or three really good ones and just put the one BS inning behind him. Like the whole idea of like, okay, I'm going to be really good for some of this, and then I'm going to absolutely suck for about four minutes. Because you look at the line, and it looks pretty pedestrian. It doesn't do his season justice, but he's still giving up the runs. I want to give him slack, but I can't. I mean, I'll give him slack because it, it, the stuff still looks good. It's it's that one inning that's really getting annoying, but it's not like his stuff is just all of a sudden, you know, hanging or not looking well. Like, the stuff is still moving. They're putting some good swings on him, and it tends to be that final inning, right around that fifth inning. Maybe he's just kind of hit that fifth inning wall a little bit, but... It doesn't look like the pitch count has been what's affecting it. It's literally just been that fifth inning. Uh, I, I don't know if it's maybe a little bit of a, of a case of now it's kind of in his head. I, th- I personally, I think Charlie will get it figured out. I've never, I don't think he's a seven-inning guy consistently anymore. I think, I think ultimately he's a six-inning guy this year. I do think he'll get it sorted. I think it'll be a little bit better once you get Max back and, and Charlie can really settle into that being the number two guy in the rotation a little bit. I don't know, maybe he's putting a little bit more pressure on himself. But I do think that as, as it gets warmer here in Atlanta for sure, I think you'll see Charlie start to perform a little bit better as well. Uh, I, I think he's going to be fine. I'm not overly worried about him. 
Now, if he goes out and this continues to happen for like another two times, I'll say, all right, let's cut Charlie off at five innings and be happy that we got five out of him. But for now, I'm not super worried. The one final thing I wanted to talk about today before we end the show uh, is the Pioneer League debuting a new rule and one that I can finally get behind and say I'm actually kind of, I'm very intrigued in seeing how this works out. And we've kind of, we've thrown this around in jest before. Every time that they mention tweaking something with a baseball rule, somebody throws this rule out there, and it's actually going to get put into play this time. And that is the Pioneer League, who are basically the guinea pigs for any rule that Major League Baseball is thinking about eventually implementing. Um, the Pioneer League is going to change the extra innings rules, and now, as soon as it gets into extras, starting in the 10th inning, they're going to have a home run derby, a la a uh, hockey shootout. Now, there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered, um, but... but this would be very interesting. I don't like it in the ninth or the tenth inning. I'd prefer it to be in like the twelfth or thirteenth if you're going to do it. But I am interested to see how it works. I mean, if the games are going to be long anyway, it adds a little bit of a fun factor to it. It gives a little bit of of suspense added in. It's going to be five swings, uh, and then if you tie again, it goes into sudden death with a second hitter. So I mean, it's kind of interesting. What do you think about it? I love it, and, and I think it's kind of brilliant because it combines two of the problems that you're having with today's generation. You know, the games are really long. People, people want the action. You know, if, you're, if you have to have any type of rule in extra innings where the whole point is to make the game end sooner and also give people more flash, you're not going to end it in a better way than with a home run derby. And if you've ever watched a hockey shootout, it is fascinating and it is so tense you know it's and this right here like people show up they want to see Acuna hit bombs they want to see Freeman hit bombs or Giancarlo Stanton whoever is going to be the the first designated guy you know that's flash I love that I love the idea of you know I went to a baseball game and I watched Ronald Acuna hit six home runs it was it was unbelievable <laughs> the question would be who, who's who are you picking to hit your home runs if you could pick any player are you picking Ronald? Are you picking Freddie? Are you picking Ozuna? I, I honestly, I'd probably pick Ozuna. But it does like there's a lot of questions I have. Like, do do you pick a pitcher on your team to go out there and throw BP, or is it the other team picks a pitcher to face your hitter and then it's five swings and they're trying to get him out? Like, is it like a true home run derby where it's I'm going to throw five BP fastballs and we can see who wins? Uh, I, there, there's a lot of questions I have about it. I would love to see them. Just to shake it up, just to make it preposterous, it has to be a position player pitching to a pitcher batting. That's See? the way to make it absolutely fair. See, well, it wouldn't be fair because then the Angels could use Shohei Otani. Shohei can pitch to himself. <laughs> he, he probably Shohei, could do it. As a, as a DH, he's going to come in and throw to Shohei the pitcher. I he's going to throw an Ephus pitch, run to, the, run to the plate, and just bash it 500 feet. It's going to look like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. But no, I mean th those are those are really good questions, and and nothing that I read uh, clarified any of that. Like who who's throwing? You know, can, can you throw breaking stuff? Uh, what whatever whatever the case may be, it's like you said, Pioneer League, Atlantic League, any of these independent leagues. This is where they're sandboxing this stuff, like with moving the mound back and having bigger bases and stuff like that. Give it a shot, you know, just see how it happens. Because it's also entirely possible that on paper this sounds great, but then you do it in real life and there's either unintended consequences or it just doesn't work as good as somebody thinks it's going to. So, It is one of those rules that, like, I'll be interested in seeing it. I do think it could probably wear thin fairly quickly unless it just unless I'm wrong and it just takes off and it's beautiful. 
Uh, it would raise an interesting question, though. Like, instead of keeping a Terrence, instead of keeping a Terrence Gore on your roster, who's just fast, do you keep a guy on the roster if it has to be somebody that hasn't played that game? Do you keep a guy like an Alex Jackson, let's say, or um, I don't know, pick another power hitter who can't hit enough to be a major league player? Or would this be a case where Bryce Ball can make the roster, where you just keep him on the team in case you go to extras and you need somebody to bomb home runs left and right? See, Pete O'Brien could become a millionaire if if this rule ever makes it to MLB. You know, this would allow Nelson Cruz to play till he's seventy. Yes. And just so I'm clear, you are vehemently opposed to games ending in ties after like 13 Oh, innings, right? I am. I cannot rightly express my rage when I see a professional sport end in a tie. Um, maybe if you want to add an extra stat there for, for shootout victories or whatever and say that if you go into those extras and you get into the 13th, this is why I wanted to start in the 12th or the 13th. So once you get that deep into the game, all of a sudden you reach into the the shootout realm where it doesn't count as a win or a loss on like your win loss, but it'll count like instead of it being a, a let's say a team goes you know three wins one loss one tie instead of it being three one and a tie it would be three wins one loss and one shootout victory. Um, I, that that's kind of how I would look to score it that way. I hate ties with a, absolute passion. I mean, you'd have to do it similar to hockey where you move to a point system. And 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 I'm don't fault you for that. I mean, I think for as many tweaks as get made to baseball, you know, even the seven inning no hitter, or excuse me, the seven inning double header, uh, Freudian slip. You can tell I'm not fully over Sunday yet. Um, I thought I was gonna hate it just on paper, just because you, you don't mess with the length of the game type thing. And and I suppose that this is kind of in the in a similar realm. You know, you would hate to to make two giant sweeping of a change. But, hey, you know, if we're going to start uh, start wow. extra innings with a home run derby or with uh, a runner on second base, you know, I don't know. I don't. I guess I don't necessarily hate it, but but I remember, uh, I think it was my second year with Talking Chop, I had to cover like a 14-inning game or something, and it sucked for everybody, for the players, for the – I mean, nobody the- wants to watch a 14-inning game. Nobody. Nobody. No, and we are going to leave that because I'm going to be interested to see that. But before we go, one really weird note. Um, Doc, do you know what just happened in the Minnesota and Cleveland game? I don't, but I really hope you tell me. Nelson Cruz just hit a triple. This is 70-year-old Nelson Cruz that we were just talking about? He hit a triple. What happened? I've g- yeah, we need to be done so I can go look up video. That <laughs> is that, not, note, that man is not fleet of foot. Nelson no. Cruz could not beat the freeze. No, Nelson Cruz might be might struggle to beat Brian McCann in a foot race. Like, True. did every outfielder fall down? Like, what happened? I don't know. But we got to go take a look at that. So we're going to go ahead and call this episode for now. Get ready to watch the Braves tonight. Look at Ian Anderson. Uh, see how he looks in this start and get ready for Waskar tomorrow. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. We'll have some nice news to announce um, on next week's episode. Hint, hint. It made some nice little fun drop. And make sure you're keeping your eyes peeled on the Twitter page as well. So thank you to everybody who tuned in for this episode. Doc, thank you as always for joining me. And everybody else out there, y'all have a great week. Go Braves! And we'll be back again next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero.
Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.